one, I'm the one, the one they call the seventh son. Southern Rock Podcast, a southern storm of bold, liberating rock, shot through with blues, soul, and gospel. And now, your hosts for the show, Brian Jones and Jason Johannes. Welcome to another episode of the All Things Blues and Southern Rock Podcast, uh, now on the Pantheon Podcast Network. With me always is Jason. What's going on? I am doing... Awesome, Brian. I am doing great. How are you doing? Good, good. And like we said, we're on Pantheon now. Uh, a lot of great podcasts on there. Our buddy Jay Scott from the Hook Rocks. Uh, we've got uh, um, Mistress Dana. Carrie. I've listened to that one a couple of times. She's had Mistress Kevin Carrie, Kevin yeah. Martin from Candlebox on. You know our old buddy. Yep, yep. Um, hanging and banging podcast. Shout out Loudcast. Shout out Loudcast. I love that one. That's just fun to say. Cobras and Fire and a lot of other good stuff. So we're on there now. Check, and... Yeah, check them out, right? Like we're the new guys, but check all the other ones that, that are on there. You'll find something you like, guaranteed. Right. So this is going to be on uh, what a uh, week from this coming Friday. What's the date today? It's like, so anyway. T- today, uh, today is 424. We're recording this part portion of the podcast right anyway so by the time you hear this it's been long gone by but uh i was able to go to uh the all axes guitar show in dilworth minnesota here right across the the right across the river and it was super cool got to see some really cool guitars got to see a 56 57 les paul Man. uh somebody had a uh um Stray Cats, Brian Setzer signature like a, guitar, like a gr- the Gretsch guitar. Yep. Yeah, small, yeah, small yeah. tellies, small amps. Uh, there's a, a guitar manufacturer called Man, and it was a double neck. Uh, you saw in the pictures the SG body, body style with a bass and a guitar. A lot of other, lot of other cool stuff. So it was really, really awesome to see that. Um, well, you're a bass guy. Anything catch your eye that you were like, well, man? There was you know? the. I don't know if it's a. Uh, the uh, signature model from uh, the bass player from the James Gang, but they had James Gang records at on the display or on the space. But it was a 2020 as a Fender P bass, but apparently the signature model from the the whose name is escaping me from the James. You gang. cannot go wrong with the Fender P bass, and I appreciated all the pictures you're posting on Facebook yesterday because I got to see some of the cool stuff. I am disappointed you didn't ask me for my order though ahead of time. Well, you know, it's supposed to be a secret, but Jason wants a Hello Kitty guitar. <laughs> I do. I'll play it. You know, Tyler Bryant has a pink Strat, a Strat. So, you know, there's nothing wrong with pink. I didn't know. I think maybe I'd seen that before, like Fender just making Hello Kitty guitars. I think those are like the junior models for yeah. kids and help kids play a little bit. Yep. But you know what? When I was at that show, I, did, I ended up missing something else that I didn't know about what was going on and kind of disappointed. What there is was that? like some sort of Comic-Con 
pop pop icon culture thing in the fairgrounds here. It was probably one of those buildings that kind of like that you guys uh, were at Rockefeller. But you know, you know the headline uh, uh, person was for that? Icon, Comic-Con. I have no clue. Eric Estrada. Ponch. Oh, Chips. Ponch. I miss Ponch. <laughs> you miss Ponch. God. Poor Ponch. What is, like, that's what he's doing now. What do you think, like, uh, you think he's, like, uh, very grateful for that? That probably, like, you know, pays the bills for the rest of his life? And, Absolutely. Like, listen, you know? if you can go anywhere and people come to see you, I think you should be thankful regardless. If it's well, 50 or 500. It's just a little humor for the listeners. We don't want to make fun of Eric. Ponch is great. And he's done a ton, a ton, a ton of voiceover work in his career, too. He's done more voiceover stuff than anything else, I believe. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, you know, our guest coming up uh, actually produced some stuff from a very famous actor from a TV well, show. Two. Or two. Two famous uh, actors. Yeah. That you will hear but, about. But, Brian, he also plays drums and helps work on albums from uh, a band that we both really like that's had quite the resurgence in the last couple of years. Yeah, and that's L.A. Guns. Uh, Adam Hamilton is going to be our guest. And, uh, yeah, he's been very involved, you know, helping, helping to play drums and engineering the records. And he's, he's played some guitar and bass with them before. And let me tell you, man, L.A. Guns, um, you know, they're the thing that's so cool about them to me, and I've been uh, realizing this just lately is, yeah, they're a classic band, but they're, they're, they're like a band that's gone through a rebirth as well with Phil Lewis and Tracy Guns getting back together. So it's like they're revelant, you know, they're revelant making records now and it just certainly not a nostalgia act. So it's really cool because we, we have so many new bands on from the Southeast and it's cool when you get a band that's been around for a while, has classic songs, but also they're new again. Yeah. I mean, the, the, this new record, this Black Diamonds record is amazing. It has, you know, influences from Zeppelin and just all over the place that the, the track shame, which I really like has a dirty bluesy riff, a dirty bluesy feel to it. And these guys they sound like LA guns, but they still sound, they sound modern at the same time. Yeah. I mean, these records are doing now are fitting fairly well within everything that, you know, a lot of the other uh, guest artists that we have on this show. Absolutely. And it's, it's nice to see a band that started back when you and I were young uh, to come out and to just put this run of really three really good records. I think black diamonds probably at the top of the last three, but, have them come out but anyway we found adam hamilton on twitter i i don't i forget maybe it was something i was interacting with ace with and then he hopped on and something and i looked at his profile and saw he was a part of la guns and recorded and did this and that and long story short we had a couple chats uh we found out he's from louisiana had friends and family that were blues artists including uh, one cousin that's a pretty famous guy back in the day you'll hear and then all the work he's done producing people like Bill Shatner and uh, Hasselhoff and working with LA Guns and just a real interesting guy. Brian only had an hour with him because of time constraints, but he's going to have to come back because I didn't get nearly into depth of the stuff I wanted to. 
Yeah, for sure. And it's it's really starting to like this organic thing is kind of happening where we talked to Ace and talked to Adam and Adam mentioned Muddy that played bass in the band for a little while. Yes. Some years back. And working so, with Mark Ford too on yeah, right. Yeah. So we're, you know, all of a sudden getting all this, this kind of LA guns thing going on. So, you know, hopefully we can capitalize. Capitalize. Yeah, hopefully we can grab a couple other dudes and talk yeah. to them because I am really super impressed and loving uh all their new stuff like yeah. how, brian how often do you hear a band that's been around almost 40 years put out stuff now and you're like man it's really it's like you can put it up yeah. against the stuff yeah. from when they started yep getting uh better with with you know aging like a good fine wine Ab absolutely so you guys kick back and relax and listen to our conversation with adam hamilton Segment of the podcast, Jason can tell, uh, introduce uh, our guest who told me this already. <laughs> Brian, I always like that we pretend like this is going to be a big surprise that we have on, even though we just chatted about it. But I am excited to have on. I don't even know what 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 to call you, Adam. Like you're a, a renaissance man of, of some sorts. But anyways, musician, producer, all around, pretty freaking cool dude, Adam Hamilton. How you doing, Adam? Uh, thank you, man. I'm doing great. How about you guys? We're good. Good. How's everything good. in Los Angeles? It's good, man. I'm about to add a TV series producer to my resume. I somehow, I somehow or another got hooked in with an old friend who who sold a, a series to Netflix. And then we got this girl who's a big producer around involved. And now we've got William Shatner involved to work on it. And, and all, all I'm doing is just connecting people. And, and then I realized that's what a film TV producer does. They either See? just have a lot of money, which I don't have, or they connect people. It's, <laughs> it's different a facilitator. Than it's different than producing records. It's totally different. It's, you're, you know, producing records, you're like the director on the film. You know, you're like directing the show. Producing, on the other hand, TV and film, no, nope. you're just sitting back going, hey, let's hook up so-and-so and so-and-so. I think this would be a great, great connection. <laughs> Doesn't Tim so, Mosher from Junkyard, he does something with TV and well, film. Well, he and music. I both do a lot of music for TV and film. Yeah. And that's that's probably what you're thinking of. Yeah, I know he's great, man. He's awesome. But yeah, he and I both have been doing that for decades. Well, we have you on one because you're cool and we're following you on Twitter. Um, oh, nice. A couple of reasons. You produce the last couple of L.A. Guns records, and I know they just dropped Black Diamond, which is awesome. Well, so we let me get correct, correct you real okay. quick. I did not yes, produce please. them. Uh, Tracy Guns produces. Tracy Guns produces all of them. I co-mixed them with Mitch Davis and played drums go. on them and one and wrote on the last one and the, and the last two. So just te technically Tracy's the producer. Yeah. But okay. yeah, that's kind of my day gig is I, I produce a lot of records and projects, you know, as part, and you've been in multiple bands. So yeah. we've got this LA guns tie. We've had ACE on a couple times. Oh uh, yeah. Love those guys. But yeah. 
as you and I have chatted a little bit, as we were lining this up, you also told us being from Louisiana too, you have a lot of friends and family and professional blues influences. So Brian always asks the first question, Adam, I know we'll kind of get into it, but Brian, take it away. Yeah. I don't usually like, we always talk about how we, you know, we're just like, we're not radio guys. It's just like having a conversation in a bar. And we, the only cookie cutter question is like, you know, how'd you get your start in music? I don't know if you want to start there or just how, you know, when you got into production or, you know, you know, like I was, right when you're starting getting the serious there, was that back in Louisiana? Yeah, man. I mean, I was literally, you know, my cousin is Mose Allison, the blues jazz pianist songwriter. You know, he wrote Young Man's Blues and Parchment Farm. And I mean, the Who covered him all, you know, Damn. Like a white blues guy, you know, from Mississippi, the Delta. So I grew up having it in my blood, you know, it's just in the family genes. And I literally was playing on pots and pans when I was on the floor. So I was a drummer from when I popped out, you know, and I just always played in bands, always loved music. I was obsessed with, with recording and got a four track when I was about nine or 10, my parents got me. And I was the kid that they all, all the bands came over to my house and I recorded the bands, you know, and that, that's, that's how it all started, you know? Where's your accent? I, you know, it, it's funny. <laughs> it comes back when I go back and see my family in Louisiana for a week. It's totally back. Or if I've had a couple of beers, it comes back. <laughs> but after like the first few years of living in L.A. in the 90s, people would be like, dude, where are you from? And I'm like, <laughs> I got so like uh, I was so sensitive about it that I just literally got I got I got a thing. I got I got to shed this. I can't I can't sound like. I'm a country kid. I got to sound like I, you know, because that's the first thing they think of is like, oh, this guy, know what he's talking about. He's a kid from the country. And you know how it is. You know, the stigma. Yes. Uh, which, oh, yeah. we all know, which we all know is bullshit. But um, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to say that if I wasn't. Uh, oh, you can say whatever you want. You can curse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, you know, those old those old stereotypes. But uh, yeah, I just I worked on losing it through the years. And, and you know, you live in California. Everything is dude and this and that and the other. And now my little girl's a valley girl. So she's just like, whatever. And, you know, you get the California <laughs> lingo quick. You can't help but not pick it up. You know, it's part of the culture. Well, you know, we find out more and more, obviously, that a lot of great music comes from the rural areas now talking about recording bands. Did you do this for for their rehearsals? Did you do it for, you know, for them to make demo tapes? Did you did you do audience recordings at live gigs? Nope, it was never live gigs. I always loved playing in a band. There was always two two uh, sides of the pie for me when I was growing up. There was being a band guy and uh playing around town and meeting girls, you know, I mean, listen, I was, I was athletic. I was the smallest kid in my class when I got music and I won the talent show. All of a sudden I'm like, wait a minute, I can get a pretty girl now. This is pretty cool. (laughs) All All of a sudden it leveled the playing field a little bit. So that was always playing in bands was always very important, but then recording music was very important. So I would just have people over in our music room and I'd have all the microphones set up and we would, make little demo tapes up there, um, you know, always on cassette tapes. But that was our thing. I mean, I really started off with two tape decks and a Radio Shack mixer in between it. And we would play drums and then we would play the tape back. And then we would literally overdub. We didn't even realize, like, this is how it all started. You know, each generation, you bounced it. You lost a generation. So it sounded worse. But you were like, wow, I'm, I can make a record by myself right now. By the end of the, the bounce, after I bounced it eight or nine times, you can barely hear it but that's me playing drums and bass and guitar and singing. And so I, I realized I, I kind of taught myself the basics and then I got to 
meet people like Andy Johns and Don Was and all the great producers, Eddie, Eddie Kramer, and got to have a tutelage under those guys by being able to make records with them or hiring them to produce my bands when I was signed on labels um, through the years. So I got the, the ultimate schooling in music. You know, I came up, I came up from a place that music is just fertile and it's in the ground and it's in the culture and it is part of life there, you know? Uh, and then I came out here and got to, you know, have record deals and publishing deals. And now I get to produce records and do music and TV for myself, but I got to learn from the best. So, you know, all I can say is, you know, I, God has been good to me and, and I just, you know, I just keep trusting in him and, and try not to mess it up too bad. Hello, Pantheon podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. That's so impressive that you're making doing that stuff at a young age. Um, do you think that some of that's instinctive, or was a lot of trial and error where to put the mics? You, oh you know? yeah, oh yeah, totally, totally. You know, it was and it was being a sponge when I would go to the real studio and see the older musicians recording, and I would just bug them and I'd say, "How do you do this? What are you doing here?" And they would be like, "Kid, give me a break," you know. But I was just a sponge in every situation that I was in you know but yeah and it was studying records that's how i learned to play before i took a lesson i just turned on the radio and played to everything that was on it from rock to new wave to country to blues anything that you know you could turn the dial and learn another song in five minutes you know and then i started realizing wait a minute if i play smoke on the water that kind of sounds like wild thing that's the same three chords you know and then i'm like and then it also sounds like this song and it also sounds yeah and all these little these little having these little you know, these little revelations and, you know, paradigm shifts where I'm like, aha, this is cool. I'm, I'm connecting the dots. And then you got in and talked to, you know, took some lessons and learned a little bit of that. You know, they wanted to teach me like, you know, uh, have you ever seen the rain by, you know, Credence? And, and now as an adult, I, I cherish that song. It's great. But as a kid, I wanted to learn, you know, running with the devil and you really got me by Van Halen. Or I wanted to get the drum teacher to teach me Tom Sawyer by Rush, because that's what's, you know, that's right. what's fun when you're a kid, not, you know, just playing 
<laughs> not playing in time. Yeah, you know, we learn everything boring. Yeah. We learn everything backwards. We want to like play fast and go crazy and everything. And then we learn the the later on, we learn the foundation and we can, but we learn it when we can appreciate it and really get it. So, you know, eventually you get, you go, oh, okay. Ringo is a great drummer. I used to say that guy's terrible. It's like, you know, Pert's a great drummer. And it's like, no, it's apples and oranges. They're both different and they're both great. And what they do, you couldn't replace them in that band and have the same band. So it's another one of those aha moments, you know, that you have at some point, you know, when the, when the wisdom kind of, when the lights turn on, you know. Going back to your recording experience, yeah. you said, hey, you, you kind of, you, you learned a lot when you went in the studios and saw how, you know, how these artists, yeah. you had family, obviously some family members that were musicians. You know, we talked about, did you get a chance to go or watch or see them do that as well? I never did. Separate? No, Mose Allison was older than me. Um, yeah. And he moved from the Mississippi Delta where my grandparents lived and that the Allison family lived uh, up to New York in the fifties. So he was always like, you know, your cousin Mose, if you ever want to talk to him, you know, he's a famous jazz blues pianer. And I, you know, that was always cool to me as a kid, but I never got to go like hang out and watch him do his thing. It wasn't till later on that I was actually hanging out with Brian Setzer one night. And I said, uh, mentioned that Mose Allison, my cousin, and he almost fell off his chair. He's like, Oh my God, you gotta be kidding me. Cause you know, he was a huge jazz yeah. And yeah. he just knows all that and grew up in Long Island as well. So he couldn't believe it. It was one of those few people in my life that when they've heard that, they've been like, whoa. And I'm like, wow, he is pretty respected in those circles, you know. But no, I never got to do that. I just always learn from books and TV and go to the, you know, I would go, you know, before the Internet, you go to the library, you know, check out mm -hmm. records and listen to the radio. I just literally learned you know, to play music by ear, you know, God just gave me an ear to listen and develop that. And I tried to learn a little theory later on and it, it just confused me. I just, <laughs> you're, you're not a theory guy. So you're not a theory guy. You're yep. a, a working I can musician barely, and a producer. Barely read music, barely read drum, drum charts. Um, if I go and do a session, it's usually like, I got to sit down and listen to the song and go over it a few times. And then, you know, Pro Tools is your is your best friend when it comes to editing and getting it all nice. And, you know, nothing wrong with, you know, doing a great take and then maybe picking out the great parts and using them. You know, I have there's no shame in my game when it comes to that, man. It's just it's just a tool that makes my life a little easier. You know, Brian, there's Adam is telling us there's a chance because he doesn't read music and do all that stuff. So we could still do it. We can still yeah, make it. Listen, man, and there, there's no there's no time limit on, unless you're looking to be a Disney kid. Then the trains, you know, left the station for that. Well, um, yeah, I think we aged out of that. One. <laughs> How did you meet Brian Setzer? I'm a I'm a good guitar fan, guitar player. Oh, man, I, I actually was out here making a record back in the early 90s. And somebody I was talking to on the phone said the straight cats are going to be at the this club down on sunset doing a surprise show tonight and i said we can't we're close we're shutting down early tonight i gotta go because i've always loved the straight cats yeah so we got in the car went down to the club it was the, the club called the roxbury just like in the movie and uh <laughs> we walked in and i'm like where is he where is he and i'm looking i'm asking them are the straight cats gonna do a do a show a surprise show here and they're like no we don't really have a lot of live acts but two minutes into the club and i see brian setzer standing with a girl and so I immediately went over to him and introduced myself. I mean, that's how I got my big break with CC DeVille. I saw him in a club and I'm like, this is it. There's my, I, I, don't waste a second, go talk to him. 
And I went and talked to Brian and, and he was so nice and we chatted and hung out and he gave me his number and I told him what I was in town doing. He was doing that big band. The new big band record had, hadn't even come out yet. He was literally at home. Oh, the, the Brian Setzer Orchestra? Yeah, he was about to launch the whole swing big band. Uh, yeah. You know, come back. The 90s thing, there, the late 90s. 90s, yeah. Yeah. So I would call him from the studio and he was so nice and he would literally call me back and we chatted for about a year back and forth and I never saw him again. And then I, when I moved back out to LA, I'd go see him jam, do jazz uh, with like um, Skunk Baxter. They play uh, big hollow bodies at jazz clubs and stuff, but he was great, man. He was like one of those guys that he, whether he realized he was really tutoring me in the music business. I mean, he told me about publishing what to do what not to do record deals i mean he gave me i'll never forget the lessons um, on the phone and just how kind he was and how he would call me back and leave me messages and just just a sweetheart just couldn't meet a nicer more more cool humble giving guy and it's always those guys those they're so talented that are like that you know like the like some of the nicest the, the nicest guys i've ever met are the most successful talented guys it's just always seems like they're the least insecure and they're not they don't have an attitude you know not everybody but you know the rod stewart's and the the ringos and the and the joe walsh's and all those those guys are just sweethearts man you know they really are and i've gotten to hang with all of them and gotten to know some of them more than others a little better than others and and it's just my you know dave Grohl. that's another one just 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 couldn't meet nicer sweet guys that are willing to like do whatever they could to really help people you know you can get, get far in life. My family motto, and Brian, I've told this story a million times, is don't be an asshole. My kids even know it. Like if they are being assholes, we make them say it. And like, it's yeah. to your point is it's amazing how many things you can get done. And, and Oh and, man, catch more flies with honey. Absolutely. That's right. That's why, that's why we have Brian on this one. He's the honey. I'm, <laughs> the, <laughs> I'm the manure. <laughs> Too funny. So the town that you grew up in, Louisiana, was that a smaller yeah. town? And like, were you seeing bands in that area? Did you have to go to a larger city? And if so, was there a scene specifically anywhere? Well, you know, yes and no. Uh, Shreveport was a smaller town, but Shreveport was a hotbed of talent, man. I mean, Shreveport had, that's where Lead Belly used to live and played. You know, okay. he's buried five minutes out of town. He used to play in the ghetto down there back in the day. Uh, you know, Kenny Wayne Shepherd's from there. Mm -hmm. uh, James Burton's from there and still lives there from Elvis Presley, you know. Uh, Joe Osborne from the uh, Wrecking Crew, you know, yeah. from there. Um, and, and on and on and on. Danny Johnson, who played with uh, Rick Derringer and Steppenwolf and uh, Rod Stewart. Jay Davis, who played with Rod Stewart, lives there. I mean, it's just, it's a music town. You know, the the Louisiana Hayride started in Shreveport. That's where Elvis Presley got his his start at the Municipal Auditorium. Yeah. It's still there. So Shreveport is just, if you don't, there's something wrong with you if you live in Shreveport and you don't love music and it's not a big part of your life in some way, shape or form because Louisiana is all about music and good food and the culture and all that. And it's just in the, in the dirt, it's in the air and the water there. You know, you, you can you can go see great music and, you know, it's a little harder now. But back in the day when I was growing up in the 80s, 70s, you know, I mean, there'd be four or five bands playing downtown at different bars and you could just walk from bar to bar and see some of the best musicians you've ever wanted to see. And then when I got and then they would have we would have concerts at the Hirsch Coliseum and I got to see a lot of concerts through the years growing up. 
got to see Elvis Presley on one of his last tours. And are you kidding me? Oh man, I, I got to see I got to see so many great bands. And then when I got a little older, me and my friends would drive three hours to Dallas if there was a band we were playing and they, and they were hitting Shreveport, or we'd drive down mm -hmm. into Rome. So we were we were in a good vicinity to see great music, you know. But but what I grew up seeing was really really great blues players and jazz players and and that was on a whole nother they, that speaks a whole nother language you know uh I, I couldn't i would be lying if i even said i play jazz you know i love jazz uh but that's a whole another thing but but blues growing up playing in the blues jam you know before i was even able to get in you know uh legally to the bar and then seeing Kenny Wayne's dad bringing him in and literally, you know, a, a toddler listening to the blues bands and then getting up when he was a teenager and playing. I mean, it was just, it was a magic, it is a magic place. And back when I grew up, man, yeah, you just grew up, you could see great music everywhere. It was, it was quite a school, you know, and then I moved to Austin once I got out of high school and experience that's a crappy spot for music Austin. yeah that's and then i got to see, then i got schooled down there on sixth street you would literally play a gig at one place then you'd go be on break and you'd walk down the street and see six other incredible bands playing and meet all those musicians on breaks and there was such a scene down there the archangels were there and i was there just after stevie ray passed away so it was it was kind of heavy moving down there after he was already gone but his legacy is still so alive and and so vibrant and and um, the archangels had just put out their album so they were always playing like little surprise shows here and there so it was man i i got the best i got the best education i could ever imagine having you know you, you think it's crazy you know all this happening and moving here doing this and seeing this and then it's like joe walsh said that that uh whatever that philosopher says is all these insane things crashing happening and seems like chaos and then you look back at your life and it looks like a finely crafted novel all the way up to here you know it's pretty funny man do you happen to know if it's still like that in shreveport because from as far as austin what i've heard and you know yeah. when dave Grohl did his uh the i'm the name of the record escaping me but when he had yeah. uh gary clark jr on he, yeah gary clark jr and said austin's not quite what it was but yeah do you happen to know about shreveport at all is there something yeah, still it's, going it's, on there? it's not it's sadly it's not you know i think uh the internet changed everything you know the internet changed our world and for every you know dozen great things sorry for every dozen great things the internet brought us and it is an amazing helpful tool it, it's brought a hundred other terrible things that destroy culture or take away our great things that take away our you know i don't know that's a whole nother conversation but you know it's it changed the world you know and, and not not for the better in, in many ways when it comes to you know music yeah. and culture and stuff like that you know adam i just want you to know that i'm happy that a, a dude like you who's so immersed in music and all this stuff still uses the same like um default ringer on the iphone that i do <laughs> <laughs> for some reason it rings like that only when i'm sitting in front of my computer i once again i'm like i'm the, the least techie tech guy you'll ever meet i'm like hey that's my ringer great yeah. it's usually on vibrate or it's on old man ring which sounds like right. an old phone from the 70s so i can hear it across the house you know <laughs> Yeah. So in, in our chats with people, it, it, we usually, it's very common we get into like, a, you know, we, we're either talking about Los Angeles or Nashville, you know, pros yeah. and cons, like where, where do you, where are you at on that? Like, I'm not you just know, like to ask you to say anything negative, but just 
What's the well, contrast as you I, see? I think once again, it's everything goes in cycles and, and has a time. Uh, Nashville and LA and New York are all, it's all apples, oranges, and bananas. They're all great. Uh, and they all have times through history when that is a, a real great city to be in. Uh, and then maybe it moves to this great city to be in for a while. And uh, things change and people migrate to different places and there's not a bad choice where to live. It just depends on what kind of career you're looking for in the entertainment business where you want to live. And I thought about moving to Nashville before I moved to L.A. Um, because, A, Nashville is a great music town. Um, nothing nothing wrong with Nashville at all. And it was very close to Louisiana. So it would have been a nice, easy way for me to stay close to my family. But I ended up before I moved to Nashville, I moved down to Austin and that Austin led me to L.A. So I just kind of followed the, the doors that opened to me. Um, and I was standing in a bar on break and I saw CC from Poison back in the 90s. Yeah. And, this, and they were huge and they were still playing arenas and in the charts. And that's when I hooked up with him, which he brought me out here. So I, there was a good chance I was headed for Nashville and I probably would have loved living there because I love visiting Nashville. Um it's a great music town. Um, a lot of people from LA have moved there, but the, the thing, there's a couple of things that keep me out here. Um, and one is that doing TV and film music, because yeah. that's kind of the other side of it. You know, now that I don't tour, I got off the road a few years ago to like, I got a, a producer manager who said, if you want to produce for, and you want me to manage you, uh, I need you to focus on that. And I was done with touring for a while. So I kind of, decided to segue into that and then I had kids and now it's like I just can't go on the road yeah um, and I need to be here when the tv people call and they're like hey we need something for this scene I can't say well I'm on the road for a month can I do it when I get back and they're like next they'll be on to the next person so you know <laughs> so that keeps me out here if you're in the tv and film industry in any way you got to be out here it's just it's where it's where it's at you know so, so you know Sorry, you, you said that. no. You're you're good, man. Like everybody, like it's it's good to know people are real, actual human beings. Um, <laughs> normally Brian and I have one of our animals or dogs bark or a cat runs across somewhere. So I'll bring my I'll bring my dog for uh, the next one. <laughs> oh, please do. That's then they can all they, they can all do a podcast together, barking <laughs> at each other. People will love it. <laughs> exactly. Um. So good segue. You mentioned CC a couple times and how he kind of got you out to LA. So really, how did how did you know, meeting him, hooking up with him, working on some of his projects, get you to, yeah. to the L.A. guns and kind of where you're at now. You know, I love the, the 80s music. And then by the time I met him toward that end of it, I was into some, some different stuff. I was I always kind of went with the trends. I was, you know, I love I, I didn't like a lot of grunge music, but I thought Nirvana's first record was great. I love their second record. I embraced LA, uh, SVP, loved them. Um I wasn't one of those guys. I was just young enough to not be one of those guys that felt bitter that that mm -hmm. grunge came in and killed the '80s music because I wasn't in, in an '80s band. I was still a kid, just a fan at that point. But I did meet CC in a bar when I was on a break. They were on the Flesh and Blood World Tour, so they were still at the top of their game. That's the end of that scene, but they were still happening. Mm -hmm. um, and immediately knew who he was because everybody knows CC in his. Right, he's very, you know, yeah. Very, you could pick him in a crowd. Yeah, you pick him out of a crowd. And so he, we immediately hit it off. He came and sat in with my band. I said, I want to go out to L.A. And he said, well, I want you to come out and be my drummer. And we had this big love fest. And I went to the concert. 
the next night. Also, you were playing yeah. drums in the band. Yeah, yeah. That, okay. that was my number one instrument. That's got it. That's, okay. That's what I've I've kind of come full circle now. Uh, but that's what I was really and what I do best is drums. But um, yeah, so we we continued to stay in touch, and I actually moved down to San Antonio for a year. Didn't hear from him, and I kind of thought, well, all right, I'm disappointed. It didn't work out. Maybe something else will happen. Uh, and then he quit poison and called me up one night at like three in the morning and said, Hey, you know, I'm flying you out. And I came out to LA and I've been out here ever since. So that didn't really work out. That was kind of at the tail end. I remember sitting with Cece and we were just doing a lot of partying and living like, you know, I was just living the rock star life, even though I wasn't a rock star, but I was living with a rock star, living the rock star life. Um, and we were jamming all day, all night, sleeping all day and partying and doing all this stuff and not getting anything accomplished, but, but, you know, our, our picture in a magazine here and there and this and that and the other. And after a few months, you know, the novelty of that had kind of worn off. And I kind of said, this doesn't feel like it's really going anywhere. And then I had something that happened. Um, we were sitting in his room watching TV and the Nirvana video came on and Dave Grohl, you know, it's just, just, just destroying the drum. Oh, yeah. And I was like, whoa, what is this? And we were both like, whoa, look at that guy playing drums. And something told me, I was like, whoa, I am actually watching one chapter of music close and another one open. And something told me in my head, be, re be really aware of what's going on right now, because you're, this is the, there's this, this is, a, this is a point. And you're, wa you're literally watching a timeline happen like a chapter in a book. And I look back on it now and I'm, so fascinated because things like that usually happen and you witness it and you don't realize it till in hindsight, hindsight 2020. Right. But at the time I knew what was happening. I'm like, Whoa, the new, the new stuff is, is there's a new sound happening. And I kind of knew that the, the poison sound and all that, I, I could tell by the caliber of bands that were getting signed. And I don't want to name any names because a lot of, I like a lot of these guys and I don't want to make any enemies. But you just saw that it was getting worse and worse and worse and mm -hmm. worse and worse. And you'd open Metal Edge and you're like, oh, great. The, it's cookie cutter, blonde lead yeah, singer, fourth, you know, guitar. Fourth, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the fourth rate Warrant is coming out. And Warrant was a great band. And now, you know, the labels have all gone out and signed every band that remotely looks like Warrant. And I just knew, I just knew as a, as a young enough guy to be aware and to go, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to going to put on a flannel shirt and combat boots and be a grunge guy. But I wasn't a rock guy either. I was always different. I was always the guy who were like, why don't you grow your hair out? And I'm like, I just, I'm not a long hair guy. I just always loved Sid Vicious and punky short hair. And that was always my thing. So I always took crap from the, the long haired rock guys back in the eighties, but I just, I, that just wasn't my thing. Um, but I also loved when new sounds would happen and new bands would come on the scene. And I loved, I just was excited about it. It got me excited. Um, so I saw that scene change, uh, but I also said, you know what, after being out in LA for a couple of years, this is where I want to be. I want to have a band. I want to get a deal of my own. I want to possibly do music for TV and film, whatever that meant. I didn't know. The only thing that meant to me was I would be in my little studio setup and I would have my guitar and I'd have the TV on and I would be like, Oh, this would be a cool song for this part. And I'd watch the TV and I didn't realize what I was doing, but I was practicing scoring to picture that's what that is i didn't know what it was i was just playing something that fit that scene that's all scoring to picture is is yeah. fluent creating music composing music do they show you so if you get hired for that gig yeah. a tv movie do they give you like you sit in with the film and just kind of watch yep. and yep you know obviously now you do it at home they send you a, a 
JPEG with a movie in it or whatever. Um, and they usually will give you like lots of, of direction and, you know, you'll have meetings and stuff like that. It all depends, but yeah, um, I'll do a lot of scoring to picture, um, uh, a lot of them. Sometimes it's just like, Hey, we want some songs for this scene, kind of, you know, this type of scene or, or sometimes they're like, Hey, we're looking for a theme for this TV show. You know, it all depends. Uh, it's not my favorite stuff to do these days because it's the most, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You, I find myself having to, it, it's kind of like you're really, it's this, I call it the service industry because you're literally going, all right, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to do it? How do you want it to sound? It's, it's so somebody's not, telling you, it's not creative yeah. necessarily to the point where yeah. you don't have carte and carte blanche. Yeah. yeah. And what I've realized that even Danny Elfman and Trent Reznor and guys that are doing it on the, on the huge level, they don't just say, here's our movie, do your thing. They, they're like, here's what we got. Here's our movie. Here's the temp music that we have to it that we've cut to. This is the vibe we're thinking of. And we think you'd be good for this. Let's talk about some ideas. And then you start knocking some ideas and sending them some rough skeletons of ideas back and forth. And you're like, yeah, great. Or no, that's not it. Or, you know, let's find something that works um, before you get too far down the road and create something, spend all this time and energy working on something that they don't like, you know. But that's, so that's this, you know, that's been my experience so far. So when you get hired for those gigs, this is, we're getting off, but that's okay. Um, yep. Does pedigree matter? Like, do you use your resume with all these bands and stuff or does does that not matter? Yeah, yes and no. I mean, you know, you, I kind of got hooked into it in a weird way where I was literally at a wedding reception with a guy who was starting a company that was looking for music for TV and film. And I, he asked me what I did. And I said, well, I'm in bands and we, we had mutual friends. And then he said, well, I'm starting a company to play songs in movie and TV. And I said, well, that's what I really also want to do is do that. And he said, well, send me some music. And within two weeks, I had a song in a TV show. So that's how it happened. It just kind of naturally happened. And one thing, you know, one thing happens and you build on that. You build on that. And, you know, uh, it's I've done. Yeah, I've done full, full, you know, scoring to picture documentary stuff and like that. And that's my least favorite thing. I thought it would be one of my favorite things to do. It's kind of my least favorite. It takes way too many revisions and way too much compromise. And eventually you feel like for me, what I've done doesn't even feel like mine anymore. So I'm kind of like, eh, I'd rather just do a few a few songs to be placed in a few shows or movies or commercials. That's more exciting. I can kind of focus on one song at a time, you know, and do my thing that way. So I think I'm, I'm suspecting Jason. I might have the same question, but yeah, like when did you like get directly involved with LA Guns? You know, you played on a couple of records and you know touring. Like, how, where, I where met did that those, start? I met the. I played on a record on this indie band that's actually gotten kind of big called the Brian Jonestown Massacre. Yeah, and and we, we have Brian Jones here. <laughs> Brian Jones. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Uh, and the, the guy who produced those two records that I played on was a dear friend of mine named Muddy. And Muddy was mm -hmm. in Burning Tree with yep. Mark Ford. From Mark, oh, Crows. my Lord. You know, Brian and I are huge Black Crows guys. Well, you got to have Muddy on your show. Muddy is is like he's like Jimmy Page and a leprechaun, magical leprechaun. <laughs> Send gets, me his contact. <laughs> he's um, he's unbelievable. He's one of the he's one of the funniest, most talented guys I've ever met. I love Muddy. Uh, but Muddy would have me play on records. He'd be like, I'm playing, I'm, I'm producing this insane band right now. And their drummer just passed out. They're called Brian Jones, the Massacre. Bring your sticks and come up to the studio. 
So Wait, I ended the drummer up, just passed out. Literally. I mean, those guys were like Brian Jones back in the day. They were literally like passing out on, on the drum kit. And I walk in and they're carrying the drummer out, you know, like with like this. So that goes well. I play on another album. And then Muddy says, hey, man, I'm getting ready to go on tour. I'm going to go on tour with that band, LA Guns. I'm like, no way, man. He said, yeah. Um, so he like pitched. Pit, hooked me up with some gig while he was gone to produce somebody. And obviously we always hang out and talk and keep in touch. Well, after he did the LA guns thing for a couple of years, he kind of felt like he, he got hooked up with uh, slim Jim Phantom from the straight cats. um, And uh, with um, Teddy, who was a keyboard player from guns and roses back in the day. And with uh, Gilby Clark. Yeah. And with Gilby Clark. So he goes, I'm getting ready to start a band with these guys and I'm going to segue off LA Guns. Do you want to, what are you doing? Do you want to play bass for them? And I'm like, man, it's funny you say that because I had been playing bass with my buddy's band just for fun. But I was also, you know, I played, I played bass, not quite as, as good as I played drums, but I loved doing it. And I was at a point in my career with my drums where I was so burnt out, I could not even get excited about playing drums to save my life. And I thought this, this might be fun. I get to go on the road. I get to go to Europe, you know, tour buses and planes and stuff, which I thought that sounds pretty fun. And I don't have to lug my drums around anymore. So he, he's the one who hooked me up with LA guns and they didn't want me in the band at first because they're like, ah, you're Muddy's buddy. And they were kind of mad at Muddy for quitting and going to play with the other guys, but they tried out a bunch of guys and couldn't find the right guys. So finally they called Muddy back and they got, all right, tell your buddy Adam to come down and jam. And I went out and got the gig and that was that. Um, and I've been working with him for 20 years now, off and on. Wow. So you've done different things with LA Guns, different, yeah, right? Yeah, I started out, I was their bass player for about six or seven years and then Got out of the band for a few years. And then in 2018, I played rhythm guitar on a European tour for them. And I've cut drums on a couple of records. Um, so, yeah, I've kind of made the rounds in the in the band, yeah. you know, kind of tried to be the utility guy, whatever they needed, you know. So I watched, I've seen a live concert from L.A. Guns. I'm going to guess it's in the maybe early 2000s. Was that yep. you playing bass on that, right? Yeah, I had a blonde-haired guy. Yeah, I had black hair then, and that was uh, okay. Bradford, England. That was some show they filmed over there. Yeah. Okay. We were debating the that. That was I probably we the one that with Ace. Yeah. Yeah, it was Brent, Brent Muscat from uh, Faster Pussycat, me, Carrie Kelly. And that this was right after Tracy, excuse me, went off to play in a band with Nikki Six. And so. Oh, Brides of Destruction. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, he went off and did that, and we continued on with a couple of different people for a few years until. You know, that was that. So this this question is going to be intentionally broad. Yeah. Um, what's up with the L.A. guns these last few years? What's up with L.A. guns? Uh, I guess you would have to. There, There's a lot up with L.A. guns. But what do you yeah. mean? Like just these last three or four records have just been. You know what Incredible. it is? They're excited again. They're excited. They they've had they had a renewed spirit. Um, they realized Phil and Tracy realized that they're like not to compare them to Keith Richards and Mick Jagger, but every great band has their pair, and they need each other. Man, there's a, there's an alchemy there. There's a chemistry. There's a brotherhood. 
and there's just something you know that they do together that they can't find anybody else that does that well and that's what it is they had enough of a break they got away from one another everything you know kind of ground to a halt and it's uh, and it's two camps and they realized listen this is ridiculous we want to we want to we've had enough time off to to really reflect and to kind of get they needed to work out their problems and resentments and they needed to uh you know regroup and when they did all of a sudden they're they're it's they take it to a whole nother level but that's what happens you know they just love they love it now you know and they they weren't loving it you know while I, when i first joined the band tracy was already you know thinking about peeling off so mm-hmm. you know, they were already ready to the wheels were coming off when i joined the band you know yeah already so yeah so it's fun to be around people that love each other and love what they do and and have enough age and wisdom and enough cool to you know make it so it's it's an enjoyable experience for everybody involved not just them you know yeah it's interesting because usually bands at this point in their career aren't usually making the records that these guys are making yeah you might get a song or two that's really good but you know i i I got caught up back up with them with checkered pass it was just i i could not believe how good that record was it left me you know it led me to check out the last few and then this black diamonds comes out and it's like it's it's a breath of fresh air it had it's like modern yet still captures like that classic yeah well that's what trace that's tracy's thing man you know tracy if you if you look at his iphone and you look at the music he listens to he listens to everything you know he's not you know a lot of 80s fans for you know for what for for what it's worth are just stuck in the 80s and tracy was never that if you look at every la guns record it's like there's there's an there's an evolution and a growth not just as him as a musician but as him as a person you know it's like you you grow differently. He likes different things, you know. I mean, obviously, we love Led Zeppelin, and we always seem to come yeah. back to Led Zeppelin. But you know, he turned me on to Caius and bands like that, you know, that we love and we still listen to, which was a new band. You know, he always embraced new bands and new sounds if it was great and it was exciting, you know. But yeah, that's what it is. I think that's what's happening with those guys. Uh, you, you mentioned Led Zeppelin. I think, you know, we've heard a lot of, you know, Tracy will say that and the press has said, but there is a very good Led Zeppelin influence on this album. You've got the acoustic stuff, the light, you've yeah. got the heavier electric stuff, the dark. I'm going to compliment you. The drumming on this album is insane Thank and you. heavy and like, Thanks, man. you're the drummer. So one, kudos because it is heavy as crap on, on the heavy songs. Thanks, man. Um, it, like you betray, dude. That's totally like freaking... Yeah, you know Bonham-esque. That's me trying to rip off John Bonham the best I can do. And you did a great job. Well, you know, not even coming close, but that's my tribute. But that's literally what I was doing. I was literally getting drum sounds that day. And I said, you know what? I'm, I'm going to move the mics back. I'm going to try all the Andy Johns tricks that he told me. And I'm going to try to get the most Led zeppelin sound. And just I'm going to I'm going to trip Tracy out with this one. And I literally was playing a Zeppelin groove like the like. Let me make this sound just like a, a Zeppelin song. And then I sent it to Tracy and I'm like, check out this sound, make a song out of this. And then he goes, I got to play a Zeppelin kind of riff. I mean, it sounds just like Zeppelin. And he got so excited and literally sent me a song in 10 minutes. And uh, there you go. Yeah, it's almost immigrant songish. Again, oh, I mean, yeah. as a compliment, or not, as a, not as a ripoff. Well, that's, um, what it's, that's what it's supposed to be. It's about, it's a, literally about 
kids in in their bedroom you know we got back to what was what what why we do music on that song we were like we were literally kids listening to led zeppelin and playing along to the record and getting chills and going this is the greatest thing in the world like i used to do when i was 10 years old and that's what we were doing is we got back to what we love and if you say it sounds like Zeppelin, then we say yes then we won you know we don't we wouldn't hide it for a second man we wear it like a badge of honor you know if rock bands aren't inspired by led zeppelin you're not doing it right i don't care what kind of music you're playing yeah man i mean they wrote the book on heavy rock you know they did hey you said again something interesting i want to go back to is you you were you're experimenting with your mic and and moving them farther away to me, again, I'm not a producer stuff, but there, I, to me, it sounds like a lot, couple of songs, a few, few songs, the instruments, the mic, even on the guitars, there's some space between the amp and the mic. Is that, is that right? Yeah, man. You know, I think we got to a point where we started to realize that capturing air and space is, is a real thing. It yeah. really is a real thing. Um, and when you're recording something right up close, man, you know, that's not how that song, that sound is supposed to sound you know when you're having a conversation when i'm talking with you and for our voices to really be able to communicate clearly if i come up to your ear and i'm talking to you like this you're gonna be like give me some space <laughs> that space is important and music and communication and air, that that air and there's something that happens about those molecules going through the air before they hit that mic it adds some of the room sound into it and it adds some of the magic. If you have a good sounding room, you're adding, you're, you're creating a space. What you want to do in, in a mix, in a song is you want to transport somebody to a different place. You want to, you want them to put on their headphones, close their eyes and imagine they're in a different world, you know, and that air and that space, all those old records we used to love. That's what they did, man. You know, Glenn Johns, when he recorded um, the Eagles, he put like three mics on the kick kit. You know, mm -hmm. it was all about space and keeping a mic like, you know, he wanted to sound like a drum kit, not a bass drum. And and we just started to employ more of that. That Yeah. I mean, even Jimmy that. Page did, right? Because he was oh, a producer, yeah. too. And, oh, yeah. hey, let's let's put this drum kit in the bathroom. Let's pull the mic away. Let's take Absolutely. the guitar in the kitchen. Let's let's pull the mics closer, farther away. And I could pick up on that. It gives a nice dynamic to some of the songs. I do, too, man. It gives it it gives it depth. And it, and it helps create a space for that song to live in. Yeah, it's cool. Thank you. I'm, I appreciate you noticing. So, Adam, being from the South, are there any uh, newer bands, uh, whether it's bands or solo artists, blues artists, anywhere from like the last, that have come out in the last five years up to 15 or 20 that, that you've gotten into or you have a pulse on or fan of? Man, I, I wish I could come up with uh, some great stuff to turn you on to right now, but I am so out of the loop because I, I do so much music for my job that when I come home, I just check out and I mm -hmm. live in a bubble. I don't even have TV. I, I literally will like just streaming service. I don't know what's going on with anything in this world. <laughs> so I wish I, I wish I could turn you on and stuff. I, I got so exhausted back in the 90s trying to keep up with everything, with technology and what's going on in the world and this and that and the other. Man, I just, I have to keep my life so simple and in my lane. I do music, I do my family, and that's it. So I don't know, I don't know of anything, man. Um, we'll send you some recommendations. How's that? Yeah, <laughs> I, would, I would like that, man. I would like that. I find that, you know, I, I kind of keep going back as time goes on and I start digging back and find finding older music I like, like music from the 40s. And I watched a great uh, Quincy Jones documentary, who was my hero, 
about, you know, all those old big bands that he grew up playing with. And, and, you know, so now, like I listen to a lot of that, you know, a lot, I love the seriously Sinatra station and listen to a lot of big band. And I was just listening to Quincy Jones, big band and stuff and albums from the 40s. So I'm just kind of like an old music guy these days, mm-hmm. but I'm definitely willing to, you know, I do love, I love Samantha Fish. I think she's, Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's yeah. rad. And, and not just her music, but she is, a rock star and we mm-hmm. don't have that these days she comes on stage looking like tanya turner coming off stage in the rhinestones and the bleached hair up she looks great man she she is somebody that excites me about music because she is as badass looking as she is sounding and she's on her way up and i, I like her and um uh, i love that Sh- shamika what is her last name Shem- Copeland? Co- yes she's amazing a, a lot of blues artists uh I'm finding really exciting right now. But other than that, you know, pop music, Pro Tools and the internet ruined pop music. So mm-hmm. we're never going to have, and the way society is, we're never going to have another Sheryl Crow or another Michael Jackson or, or uh, anything for that matter. That time has passed. So if you like pop music, you know, guess what? It's not going to get any better. It's just going to keep getting worse because of uh, the grid and, and, and sampling, you know, even even hip hop's terrible now. You know they used to be able to sample great old records, and now yeah. they, they everybody got sued, so they all just use the same, same beats. Eight oh eight, hundred people to write a song too, which is crazy. Yeah, Go to Grammys and, and oh, like man. there's fifty people on stage for one song. It's a joke, man. It's a joke. Uh, it's it's sad, but it's the the way it is. So you know you just find other things to to uh, other things to get excited about. You know and. Uh, it is what it is, you know. I think that what you're getting to, too, and I, I had a different question. I'm going to go off topic or off what I wanted to talk about here for a second. But I think this is part of the reason, too, that rock music is starting to become back in favor a little bit more is people are sick of the artificial stuff. They yeah. want to go see a show, have a live experience, see four or five yeah. people. up, And they're the four or five people that made these songs. You're right, man. It's like it's like the old the old set, you know, about the ship that goes to sea, you know, gets tossed back and forth. And, you know, the the laws of physics say if it goes to this far so far, there's a tipping point and eventually it's going to come back. And I think you're absolutely right. I think people are are fed up with that and they're looking for something. And, and you know, when it really comes down to it, man, you know, the guitar may come out of favor for a while, but, but it will come It all. It's like Levi's jeans, man. It's just always going to be there. It's always going to be cool. constant. Yeah. And it'll always be constant no matter what, you know, it's just going to, you know, go through times, times and changes, you know? Yeah. I mean, we see a lot of this, a lot of what this podcast does and how Brian set it up to do is promote newer bands or lesser known bands. And like, we're always blown away by the constant stream of, not just new artists, but like talented artists, right, Brian? Yeah, for sure. Especially from the Southeast. It's crazy how, how many good bands there are. Well, like Kentucky is just out of control yeah. with the amount of talent that's coming out of Kentucky right now. It's like, it's just amazing. And it's, yeah. it's just refreshing to see, you know, and hear because dudes like our age, we can appreciate and go watch, watch these young dudes go play some rock music and know how to yeah. play an instrument. Yeah, I mean, that is one of the good things about the internet, that it's kind of connected us all and made the world a little smaller, and uh, we can find out about stuff like that, um, but at the same time, it's, it's you know, it's killed their way to make a living now, they have to figure out a, a day job, you know, I mean, when I was coming up, when I moved out to LA, I've never had a real job, I mean, I worked some part-time gigs, you know, doing some little things, 
to make a little extra money. But, you know, I had record deals and we got advances and I got publishing deals and we got advances and we were able to pay our rent and work on the record. And those days are gone. Over. Yeah. Done. And that's sad to see the arc of, of the business. Uh, but it is what it is, man. You know, you can't put the genie back in the bottle. And, and for all the bad things that it does, it has offered us some great things. I mean, now I can make records in my house and, and you know, I don't even have to drive to the label over the hill in Santa Monica to turn the record in. I just put it up on the server. And there's a little bit of bittersweet to that. But at the same time, man, you know what? It is what it is. Technology, time keeps moving. Don't get bogged down and 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 all that, and you know, try to make the the most. You just do, do the best with what we have, you know. Yeah. Um, I know we only have a couple minutes left to finish this, so a couple things, Brian. We're gonna kill the lightning round because I only got to like one tenth of what I wanted to talk to Adam <laughs> about, and I would be remiss. In fact, even Ace said to ask about this if we don't get to this point, but just gonna throw a name out to you, okay. William Shatner. Oh man. He, <laughs> he, he is, uh, no, there's no one like him. No one like that guy. I, I never thought that 10 years ago when I got to produce an album for him, that I would end up being friends with this guy, but he's incredible. He's incredible. We've made like three, four records together. Um, I started getting emails from his assistant after we started working together. And he's like, the Shatners would like you and your wife and your kid to come over and watch Monday night football at their house with them. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> so we would go over there and he would have about 20 or 30 of his family friends. He'd have a little catering set up and we'd go in the big room and watch the games on Monday night. So we'd just go to Monday. Uh, the Shat it's like, are we going to Monday night football? The Shatners. Oh, okay, great. We are cool. Uh, you know, I mean, <laughs> so, so strange, man. You know, he's just such a sweet guy. I mean, I could talk for hours about him and all the adventures we've had. Um, I don't wouldn't even know when to start, but he's a sweetheart, man. I well, love well how do you get hooked up with producing his record to begin with? At least the first time. Cle uh, Brian Pereira, my friend who owns Cleopatra Records. Brian had said, uh, we're going to start doing a really interesting project. And I think you would be great to work with this guy. Um, we're going to have a meeting with him. Are you fri uh, available Friday? And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, we're going to, I think we're going to reckon with William Shatner. I'm like, tell me what time. And I'm there. Cause I knew of the has been record and I loved it. So I was but all, is that where he did like the rocket man? Was that the one we did like the rocket man spoken yeah. word? Yeah. 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 He did rocket man back in the seventies, but the has been record he did with Ben Foles and it was mm. you know, hit off of That's it. right. That's right. My wife's so a big I was already fan. on board and we already had a we already had a roadmap to what we were going to do. But the first thing he sat, we sat down and he said, listen, I have no musical skill in my body whatsoever. <laughs> I have no idea why I'm doing music, but I see why people like it. And I'm in on the joke and I'm able to, and I love to laugh at myself. Let's yeah. do something. And that's how it started. And it was just it's been total pleasure ever since. I'm not surprised to hear that he has a really good sense of humor and particularly about himself i think absolutely. that works i think that's a good reason why he's had a long career the way he has absolutely man he just knows how to roll with it he's a sweetheart he can laugh at anything he's the first one to laugh at himself but you know he's 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 gotten a little bit of uh flack for being a, a difficult guy but he's just not a difficult guy he just likes to do things the right way and in this town you uh, unfortunately with all the things you do tv shows and movies and commercials you encounter some sets where they have it together and you encounter some that are just like crazy wild west who's running the show. And, you know, that's, that gets infuriating to somebody that's, you know, 
an older guy who's who comes in prepared to do his work and he's a pro and he's dealing with some idiots you know so you know he's i think with any job no matter what field that you're in oh yeah there's all you always have to deal with idiots somewhere oh yeah man (laughs) how does this happen (laughs) yes how does this happen yep it's so true well we'll talk about we can talk about him next time for sure Oh, please. And then I'm going to throw one other name out because I know we've got a couple minutes, but David Hasselhoff. Yeah, yeah. That's another one, man. Brian at Cleopatra said, uh, I'm thinking about getting you to produce this this album of this guy. And I said, I'm on. I'm on board. Let's go. And we ended up having a great time and uh, did a record with him and had all sorts of both of those records. We got to have guests on. So we had Cheryl Crow, Lyle Lovett, uh, Peter Frampton, Jeez. you name it. We we had we got to have them on there, and everybody yeah. wants to play on a William Shatner record, you know. Right. So, you know, we were we were having to tell people we we just don't have anywhere to put you on this album, you know. <laughs> there's some there's a guest on every song. Yeah. Here's a, here's an idea. Here's an idea, and I I need co-producing credit if it happens. You need a a we are the world type of thing that Shatner does, and then you can get everybody that wants to work with him on the song. Exactly. See, do it all to charity. It's a win-win. See, and everybody wants in. You've got it, right? How do you spell your name again? <laughs> J-O-H-A-N-T. <laughs> we'll talk. We'll talk after this. Um, one other thing before we toss up to Brian yeah. to close the show. But Adam, we absolutely have to have you back, Brian. I I swear For to sure. God, like my list absolutely. of stuff to get to talk to Adam about has not even scratched the surface. Sure. We, we like people like you that have all these experiences and do everything else and, you know, can tell a good story. But oh, man, sure. you and I were just chatting about the John Waite documentary on Twitter. Yeah. And I feel a little bit bad about that. Not about anything you and I necessarily yeah. did, but I don't. <laughs> Neil Sean liked the, whatever one of the tweets that we did. And we were talking about bad blood <laughs> the yeah. documentary. And I'm like, oh, God, he liked that. I'm, wow. Well, he, yeah. well, he probably liked it because he's acknowledging that's probably what it was. You know, that's what I was wondering. That's, but that John Wick Mike... documentary on Amazon's good, though. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. But I was just baffled why they didn't have any. They they should have skipped it completely. Too, too much time on the babies, not enough time on that, because the doc, the, that was it. It definitely garnered way more time. I mean, I don't even think they even meant it. Meant it. I think it was one sentence. He said, yeah. They showed I mean, that when I see you smile, like yeah. a short, very careful, like, like very whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on a second. You know, I wasn't the biggest bad English fan in the world, but that was that was a huge, huge album at the time. All over. It was a number one. That song was a number one hit. It was huge. And it was a, a super group with Neil Sean and John Kane. So something, something had to happen to, to, there was some, somebody got their, fa- you know, their feathers ruffled and didn't want to be a they part did. of it. Or, and then like John Kane played happened. with the babies later on. Then he left to yeah. go to journey. And then he ends up being in the band with both Neil Sean and, and, and Kane from jerk. Like it was, yeah. a, but completely like just started, didn't even get into that. Didn't even get, it was like that. All right. You've seen enough of that one onto the next, you know, it's like, no, 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 no. Something's up there. Yeah. Something happened. I don't know what it is. And it'd be interesting to know, but yeah, it's probably, it's probably that. What we need. And last thing before going to Brian to close it out is we need a John Waite, William Shatner duet. Yeah. Listen, that, that that doesn't sound like a crazy idea. I like it. <laughs> well, Adam, it was great chatting with you. We're going to have to have you back on. Um, where do all of our listeners go to find out more about you, all the stuff that you're working on, or just you generally know, get all the Adam Hamilton news that they can 
just Jews. you know i usually post on twitter or facebook um or instagram i really don't i don't even have a website anymore uh so i just kind of keep people updated on that if they're interested that's about and it and you're one of the nice people on social media who's not a jerk like you're actually a good follow and interactive oh uh, cool man i appreciate it you too brian well, thank you so much to Adam Hamilton. And the great thing about you is we can't we can't just give you one title. Usually it's like singer from, you know, it's like, uh, you know, professional musician based. We're going to call drummer, him William Shatner Wrangler. Uh, <laughs> producer, engineer, TV, music, creator, uh, TV, audio and music, renaissance man, Adam Hamilton. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we've had Ace on, we've had you on. So all of a sudden there's kind of an idea percolating in my head and we'll let that marinate and yep maybe i'll run it past jason later so anyway thank you so much adam hamilton uh for being on and we got to have you back on again and again and again cool man thank you guys nice chatting with you thanks to adam hamilton for uh joining us on the podcast very grateful for that to uh get another la guns connection and and uh hear some backstories and you know, of course, you know, I, you know what I want to do? I want to go to go to William Shatner's house and watch Monday Night Football. I do, too. I mean, how <laughs> that's got to be amazing, right? <laughs> I'm trying to, like, picture the spread, get some wings out there and get some hors d'oeuvres and Ritz and cheese crackers. And could you imagine if you grow up like his, his kid was like, hey, are we going over to Bill Shatner's house to watch football? Like, that's how you grow up. Imagine that. <laughs> that's amazing. I mean, that would be so cool. It's being a cool Adam is super cool, just as we expected to talk to a uh, real fun guy has a lot going on and just, man, it's just, again, one of those guys that as soon as you start talking to, you just know it's going to be a good conversation. And I like hearing about Shreveport, the scene that, that was going on there when, when he was in his late teens, early 20s. That's something pretty cool. It could be music going on there all the time, every night. That is pretty cool. And have a dude like that who grew up in the area, like move, like end up playing in these um, alternative punk and these hard rock bands coming from, from that scene is pretty amazing too. Yeah, no, I really enjoyed that, you know, good stories and uh, what a great guy and can't wait to have him on again. But until then, always remember Southern rock is reverent, blues is blood. We'll see you next time. Broken glass can't carry the 
But the broken glass can shine like a diamond 